Buddy, like, come on. Put that down. No. No. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Northridge Church. Man, we're grateful to have you here this morning. And, you know, before I get started and before we dive into God's word, I actually have to catch our church family on something. And so I'm going to go ahead and, and read a statement. And it, it says this. It says, it's come to our attention that we have had a member of our stewardship team embezzle $50,000 from our savings account. While it's unclear how these systems, our systems allowed this to occur, we have notified the authorities and are taking the appropriate measures to determine the extent of the damage and to seek the full extent of the law to bring this person to justice. Now I get that it's not how I wanted to start my message off this morning, and I'm sure that's not what you wanted to hear this morning. You know, you probably were feeling great connecting to God through worship and then this. And it's amazing how words, just some words that make up a sentence, that make up a paragraph, can change the way we feel in a morning. How we can be at the top of a mountaintop and so quickly fall down to the bottom. And I get it, you probably have questions, there's emotions swirling in your head right now, and what highlights that is to understand that these words aren't true. I was waiting for that moment. Just everybody take a breath. Say out loud, I do not want to hurt Drew. Just so everybody's clear, turn to the person on your left and say, the money's all there. Turn to the person on your right and say, our stewardship team has amazing people. It was a lie. And what you experienced this morning over our campuses and our online community is the power of a lie, how it can change the way you feel in an instant, how it can change your emotions, it can take you from the top to the bottom so fast, because guess what? Our words matter, they're powerful, and they can have a significant impact on our lives and our relationships. And we're in this series called You Kiss Your Mother With That Mouth, where we're really talking about the power of words. The Bible actually says that the tongue, your conversations, your emails, your posts, your text messages have the power of life and death. That is significant and we should take that serious. That's why we're in this series. And this series is really built around this idea that our mouths bring problems into our lives and our relationships. And in week one, we talked about the power of criticism. How we can choose to be fault finders, that we can nip people, nitpick people and, and all that they do and what we can do is cause damage to people's lives, their futures and our relationships. But God hasn't called us to be fault finders, but he's called us to be hope dealers. That it's not that we're not gonna see the, the faults in people, but actually seeing the faults in people puts a bullseye on where we need to deliver the hope. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for all of us. 
Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God saw us in our sin, saw our need, saw our faults, and delivered hope right there through the power of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished on on the cross through his death and resurrection. Through that, we get victory. And so our words matter. We built this series around one verse. Hopefully you've read this verse all week long and you continue to read it each and every day through the rest of the series. Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul says this. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, do not let any, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And it may benefit those who listen. The Apostle Paul says, hey, don't let anything negative, don't let anything that, that would destroy somebody come out of your mouth, but only what will build and encourage people. And we're going to continue this conversation as, as we continue this series. And the second problem we're going to talk about is the problem of lying. The problem of lying. And I don't have to illustrate to you the problem of lying because you all just felt how powerful a lie can be. In fact, some of you might email me this week of how powerful that lie was. But lying, how significant it can be, how much pain and turmoil it can bring into our lives. And and the truth is, is we are all liars. Whether we want to admit it with our own mouths or not, we all have said a lie and we've all experienced the power of a lie. According to stats, I did a little research, according to stats, every day, a normal person tells four lies. Four lies. So what that means, according to stats today, at a minimum, each and every one of us will will utter four lies out of our mouth. According to stats that 60% of people cannot meet somebody new, have a 10-minute conversation without lying. And so we thought at all of our lobbies, we would put a nine-minute countdown and say, as you meet new people, you only got nine minutes, so we're going to kick you out so you don't lie. That's a joke, just FYI. I'm full of them today, obviously. <laughs> but lying is a big deal. And, and whether we truly want to, to be honest today, I, I think we all struggle with it. We all exaggerate things. We all omit things, which really is lies. So my first question this morning when it comes to the problem of lying is how does God feel about our lies? What does God sense and what does he feel when we choose to have lying lips? Well, Proverbs 12 gives us the answer. Proverbs 12, verse 22, it says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Yet again, Proverbs gives us this sharp contrast about how God feels about two different people. The the first person is a lying person. It says that God actually detests lying lips. Now, I did a little bit of of research and study on on that word detest in the Hebrew. It actually means to be an abomination. One scholar said that when we choose to lie, it makes God nauseous to his stomach. It makes him sick. He detested. It's an abomination to him. But on the other side of, of that equation, it says that God delights. It brings him joy to the person who is trustworthy, who, who shares the truth. In fact, we we get a little insight of who God is. In fact, Hebrews chapter six, it actually says that it is impossible for God to lie. That in his very nature, in his perfection, in his flawlessness, in his holiness, God cannot lie. He's that holy that he doesn't deal with untruth. And so it shows us why he would detest lying lips. And the Apostle Paul actually continues this conversation in Ephesians chapter 4. A few verses before our theme verse, this is what he says. He says, when you heard about Christ, 
and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so as the Apostle Paul begins this passage, he he really talks about the gospel. He says, when you were taught about Jesus, what Jesus accomplished for you and your sin, that he died on a cross and and he rose again to give you victory over your sin. And, And when you submit to that, when you believe in that, when you surrender to that, and Christ becomes the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins, something should happen. Paul says that we actually, when we say yes to Jesus, we push off our old self, our deceitful ways, and we step into a new life of truth. In Corinthians, the apostle Paul says it a little bit differently. He says, in Christ, when you're in Christ, when you know Jesus, when you follow Jesus, the old has gone and the new has come. And so for any one of us who says yes to Jesus, we believe in him with our heart and we choose to follow him. The apostle Paul says, hey man, there should be this transaction in our lives where we choose to push off falsehood and step into truth. In fact, the very first way he fleshes out this old and new is in verse 25. Look what he says. He says, because the old is becoming new, he says, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. It's almost as if the the Apostle Paul suggests that maybe the first thing that changes in you when you say yes to Jesus is that you would step away from the lies that you've been living and to step into the truth. Ultimately, what he's simply saying is as a Christ follower, we should just simply stop telling lies. We should stop telling lies. And here's what he understood, and and, and I think we need to understand this about when we choose to to say lies, when we choose to to tell uh, false things, we have to understand that you might never be more like the devil than when you're telling lies. Now, that's a pretty powerful and provocative statement, that you actually mirror the enemy of God when you choose to lie. And this isn't some shocking statement that I wanted to say to get your attention. In fact, Jesus actually backs it up when he describes the devil. He says this in John chapter eight. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, Jesus is talking about people who claim to know Jesus, but yet they don't do what Jesus says. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, when Jesus describes his enemy, the devil, he says there's no truth in him. There's not an ounce of truth in the devil, for he's a liar. Not only is he a liar, but he is the father, the source of all lies, because when he lies, he actually speaks his native language. And when we choose to do the very same thing, we mirror or we look just like him. We look like God's enemy. And I'm afraid today many of us, we speak the devil's language way too much. We become liars for for some reason. I'm not exactly sure, but when it comes to lying, it's actually the, the devil's number one tool to convince us to do things. He lies to us. This is why two chapters later, the apostle Paul, after Ephesians 4, you go to Ephesians 6, this is what he says in verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God 
Why? So that you can, sta- you can stand against the devil's schemes. Maybe another word for schemes is the devil's lies. And here's what we have to understand is, is the devil's tactic or his schemes to get us to tell falsehoods. You see, he has a process and a plan, and I want to walk you through that this morning because the devil is going to convince you, he's going to whisper in your ear because he wants you to do one thing. He wants you to tell a lie. That's where his process begins. He is going to whisper in your ear. He's going to lie to you to convince you to speak his language, to convince you to tell that lie. And here's how he does it. He whispers in your ear. He says, hey, just exaggerate that story a little bit. It'll make you look better. I know the fish was this big, but it's now this big. But really, he tells us to exaggerate stories. You want to know why? Because he convinces us, he lies to us, it's going to make you look better. He he tells us to omit just a little bit of information because it will make that decision you made look even better. He tells you as a student, hey, I know your parents want you to get good grades, and I hear this test is the hardest one from this teacher, so let's just cheat on this one. Not that big of a deal. He tells spouses, hey, hey, just, just, you know what, don't tell your wife or your husband where you were or who you were with. She doesn't or he doesn't need to know that information. Maybe when you do your taxes, hey, just increase that number just a little bit, you'll get a better return. Hey, you know what, increase the numbers on your time card. Your boss will never know and you'll get a little bit of extra income. You see, he whispers in our ears lies and those lies convince us to tell a lie. And unfortunately for all of us, we speak his language maybe a little bit too much. And man, I wish I was immune to this. I wish when you became a pastor that, man, you just got this like never tell a lie card ever again. Doesn't work that way. And man, as I studied what God said about lying, I had to really take a good, hard gut check look at my own life and see the areas where I don't tell all the truth. And for me, this fleshes out in in, in my marriage. You see, Ashley and I, my wife, we've been married for about 12 years, and and we're different people on certain topics, especially when it comes to the topic of health. You see, my wife, Ashley, she kind of leads the charge of health in, in our family. She wants me and the kids to eat very healthy. In fact, for two to three years of our lives, we were vegetarians. I'm still mourning that process. And the reason why my wife is really health conscious is because she worked in a cancer hospital as a registered nurse, and she saw a lot of things which caused her to change a lot about her life, and she wanted to see her family healthy. Now, me on the opposite side, I am what they call a foodie. Any foodies in in here? Come on, can can I get an amen? amen? And as a foodie, like, taste trumps everything. And so I don't care how many calories it has. I don't care how fast it's going to kill me. If it tastes good, bring it on, you know? And you can imagine at some level that brings a little tension into our marriage. And one of the questions my wife asks me often, I hate. I come home from work and this is what she asks. What did you have for lunch today? (laughs) And in my, you know, my job, I have a lot of meetings with people, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I like food. (laughs) And so here's how I respond to that question very often is I look my wife in the eyes and I say, baby, I had a salad. (laughs) And it is true. I had a very small size salad with my double cheeseburger and large fries. (laughs) And you know, it's easy to justify that as the truth, but really what it is 
is a lie. I omitted some information to make me look better. And I would bet probably this morning you can relate to my story because you've done the same thing. Maybe it's not about food for you, but we all speak the devil's language when our hot buttons are pushed. And the enemy, the first part of his scheme is to get you just to tell the lie. Tell a lie, he convinces you, exaggerate, omit, and what happens next is over the course of months and years, you tell that lie, and he's convinced you to tell it again and again until eventually, not only have you convinced others, but you now convince yourself because he gets you to believe the lie. He gets you to believe it, and the way he gets you to believe it is you rationalize it in your head, you justify it in your heart. Hey, it's not that big of a deal. Actually, this is pretty true. I did eat a salad. I'm not lying. And not only do you, do you lie, but you double down on your lie because the first lie demands another lie, and that lie demands another lie, and you've been lying so long that you actually have convinced yourself to believe the lie. And here's what we say. We say things like this. I'm not an addict. And what's true is when we say those words, we actually believe them in our heart. I'm not an addict, but yet we don't see that we have a drink or a smoke or we go to that website on a regular basis. But that's not me. We say things like, I'm not a liar. I mean, I only lie when I need to, when it benefits me, like, but that's not me. And the reason why we say these things and we believe them is because we believed the enemy's lie. We've rationalized it for so long that the devil has convinced us to believe it. You know who did this in the Bible? His name was David. He was the king over God's chosen people, the king of Israel. And David made a really poor choice to abuse his power and to sleep with another man's wife. And that one mistake led to a lot of deceit in David's life. A lot of lies where he had tried to bring her husband home and he he couldn't get him to do what he wanted and so he had him murdered and and, and then he brought Bathsheba back into his family and and he, he got it to the place where he probably had convinced everybody, right? He convinced everybody in his kingdom. He even convinced himself. But the problem for David was he could have convinced everybody, but the person he couldn't convince was God. Because God knew, he saw through all the deceit and all the lies that David told. In fact, he sent to him a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan said to David, hey, you can convince everybody in your life that you're a godly king. You can convince even yourself that maybe you think you're a godly man. But you want to know who you haven't convinced, David? It's God. Because he sees your lies. And this is what what he said in in, in 2 Samuel. In your notes it says first, you want to cross off and make a second. He says this, David, you're the man. You are that man, and maybe today this is just the Holy Spirit's work in your heart, in my heart, where he maybe convicts us that we are that man or we are that woman, where maybe we've believed our lie long enough that we don't even see it anymore, and maybe the Holy Spirit convicts us to say, hey, that's you and that's me, and he reminds you and I that you you can't hide from the truth. You can convince maybe everybody around you. You can even convince your heart, but you can't convince God in his holiness because he sees past your lies. So the enemy gets you to tell a lie, believe the lie, and eventually over time, this is where he gets you. He gets you to live the lie. He gets you to, to buy into the lie so much that you live it. It's no longer false to you. It's, it's your life. In fact, this is where the enemy thinks he wins. He's triumphant. Because he gets you to claim to be someone and be somebody else altogether different. 
you live the lie. Let me flesh out what this looks like for, for many of us. Maybe it looks like this this morning. Maybe you're Mr. Christian guy where all of your friends, your community group, all the people in your life know you as a godly man. They know you as someone who takes the Bible seriously, who prays often, is in church all the time, leads a community group, but yet behind the scenes of your life, when no one's looking, when the door's closed, you struggle deeply with pornography. You've put on the facade and everybody believes, you convinced everybody, but behind the scenes, you claim to be somebody and you're somebody different. Or maybe you're Mr. or Mrs. Perfect Life on Instagram where all your posts are amazing, they're edited, and people who watch your feed want to have your life, but yet if you get behind the scenes, the curtain of your post and your edited photos, you're dealing with deep and dark depression. No one would ever know it. Or maybe you're Mrs. Perfect Pinterest mom, where you show up, someone comes to your house and everything is spotless, it's clean, it's decorated, it's put together, but if they were to step behind the scenes of your life, behind the decor and the the, the clean carpet, they would see that you're lonely and desperate. Or maybe you have the perfect marriage. You, in public, skip around and you hold hands, you kiss each other, it's amazing. But yet when you get in the door of your house and you close it when no one else is around, that intimacy that you fake it till you make it has faded. In fact, maybe you even sleep in separate beds. And everybody knows you as a perfect marriage, but yet you know the reality. Or maybe you're a teenager today and you know what, at church, you're the godly leader. You raise your hands in worship, you lead the charge, let's live it out, let's go for it, but yet at school, everybody knows you as the party animal. Because we've lied to ourselves for so long that now we're just living in the lie. No one knows it but us. This is not all of us, but it's some of us. And it gets even more serious, because maybe right now you feel a little bit awkward because the Holy Spirit is speaking right to you but it gets a little more serious because one of the greatest lies people live in, one of the greatest lies the devil has convinced people to live in is that I'm a Christian, but I don't have a relationship with Jesus. That the devil has convinced you that if you build a good enough resume, you go to church, you memorize your Bible, you pray, you do all the right things, that somehow you can build a resume that's strong enough that God will accept you for who you are. It's one of the greatest lies because we we have to know that the only way we get to God is through Jesus Christ, what he did on that cross, and if we would just submit to a relationship with him, that is how we are made right with God. But yet, the enemy has convinced so many people that I'm a Christian, but yet I don't really have to do what God says. In fact, 1 John, he brings clarity to this. He says, whoever says, I know him, that's Jesus, but does not do what he commands, what are they? They are a liar. And the truth is not in that person. John sets the record straight. He says, you can claim to know God all you want, but if it doesn't start with faith and a relationship with Jesus, you're a liar. And yet if you claim to know God and you don't do what he says, you're a liar. And that person, there's no truth in them. James continues the conversation where he says, hey, faith, or our relationship with Jesus starts with faith, but the evidence of that faith is the works, it's the obedience to God. So here's what the enemy tries to do. 
He tries to convince us to tell a lie. It's not that big of a deal. And he convinces us to do it over and over again until we believe the lie. Not only have we convinced everybody else, but we've convinced ourselves, and over the course of that lie, we begin to live in it. That we don't even actually know we're living in a lie anymore because that's what our life is. And man, as I studied this message and I looked at my life, you know, the one thing that probably most of us know even if, even if you, you don't come to church regularly, or if you don't have a relationship with God, I think probably at some core level of just thought, we all probably know that God doesn't like lying. I mean, that seems like really obvious truth to us that God in his holiness wouldn't like us to lie. And as a Christ follower, as a Christian, my next question, if we all know that, my question is then why do we lie? I mean, honestly, like if we really think about it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If I'm trying to follow a God who doesn't like lying, then why in the world would I lie? And at the surface, I think the easy answer to that question is, well, lying makes us look good or or lying makes somebody else look good or it's just easier, more convenient to lie than tell the truth. And and that's so true, but I think if you dig under the surface a little bit and you, you get to the core of why we lie, I believe the root reason why most of us lie is because we don't fully trust God. I want to say that again because I want it to to sink in. I believe the reason why we choose to lie, if you get beyond the surface, all the surface level things that we claim why we lie, I think at the core of it, it's true that we have a trust issue. That we don't, maybe we trust God with portions of our lives, but then there's portions of our lives that we haven't fully given to God, and therefore there's a trust issue there, and and, and we just, we lie. And, And it fleshes out like this. Maybe you're in the dating, in dating relationship world and you see a guy or girl that you wanna be in a relationship with and you're not sure that they will accept you for who you are and so you choose to lie to get in that relationship with them. And let's say it goes pretty well and you guys are getting serious and here's the problem with that is that relationship was just built on a lie and that person actually loves you for somebody you're not. Or maybe in other relationships, maybe one of the reasons we lie very commonly is to avoid conflict in our marriages with our family. We just don't want to deal with it, and so we lie. Everything's good. No, I don't have to talk about anything. And what we do is we lie. And the reason why we lie is because we don't want to deal with that conflict. But what we fail to remember is that actually our relationships, in most cases, are stronger as we walk through the conflict. They become healthier and stronger on the opposite side of the conflict. And so when we lie, we actually miss out on a blessing God wants for our relationships. And man, we lie because we don't trust God. And probably one of the, one of the hardest people, persons to trust is not your spouse, it's, it's not your friends. Honestly, it's God. Trusting God is really hard, and many of us, we trust God to a certain level or a certain portion of our life, but To give God all of me, that's hard. And here's what happens is we believe that our lies are better than God's truth. We believe that that for some reason, if I tell that lie, it will actually lead me down a better path, a, a better future than the path of God's truth has for me. And so it all correlates back to our trust in the path God has for us, no matter what the circumstance is. And so we lie because we believe our lie is better than God's truth. And I wanna show you this morning where it leads. Because I think if we remember where our lies lead us, 
it'll change how much we lie because lies bring bondage, truth brings freedom. Here's what you have to understand about lies is when you choose to lie, you're digging a pit of slavery. When you choose to lie, you are handcuffing, handcuffing yourself to that lie because one lie demands another lie. I've never met a lie that doesn't want you to use another lie to cover up that lie. And so what it does is when we choose to lie in our relationships and at work and with our family members, what it does is it handcuffs us. It puts us in a pit and that pit just causes us to dig deeper because the lie demands another lie. It brings bondage. But yet the truth, will set you free. The truth will actually release those handcuffs. The truth will actually pull you out of the pit. In fact, that's why Jesus said these words in John chapter eight. He says, then you will know the truth. You wanna know how you will know the truth? Because that truth will set you free. Freedom, I mean, that's the gospel really. We were caught in the pit of slavery from our sins, and yet the truth of the gospel, guess what it did? It released the shackles of our sin, it released the handcuffs of the sin that bound us, and yet God, through his son, set us into freedom? So Satan wants you to tell a lie, to believe the lie, to live the lie, and so the question I have for all of us this morning is how do we overcome our lies? How do we win the battle? And I think the obvious answer is the easy antidote to lying is to tell the truth. And I think moving forward, obviously, we as Christians who claim the name of Jesus should be truth tellers. Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, in those moments where the enemy whispers in our ear, we cast him out and we say, I'm a person of truth. But yet, there are some lies in our lives right now that we believe or maybe we're living in. And what do we do with those lies? How do we confront those lies and change maybe the path that we built up? And God gives us a two-step plan. The first one starts with him. We confess to God for restoration. We take those lies and we bring them to the one who is capable of restoring us, to putting us in, in back in right standing with God. You see, God is the only one who has the capacity to, to change our future. He has the power to, to give us, uh, uh, to help us step out of our lies. In fact, 1 John chapter one, it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You wanna talk about hope, man? You know, last week we talked about not being a fault finder, but a hope dealer. And here, yet again, we see through the power of God's word, it delivering hope. Because maybe you've lived a lie. Here's the great news today. We serve a good God who is faithful and just to forgive you. That when you go to God in the midst of your lies, he doesn't condemn you, but yet he forgives you. He said, I I knew it already. I'm just glad you're bringing it to me. And not only is he faithful to forgive us, but the Bible says that he will purify us. Yet again, the power of the gospel that through Jesus Christ, he already paid for our past, present, and future sins. God's already forgiven you for them. And so when we go to God, we serve a good God who will forgive us and purify us and make us in right standing with him through the blood of Jesus Christ. But yet I think that's the easy part. You see, I think for many of us, it's easy to go to God. Because you know what, we know God will forgive us. And you know what we believe? God will keep my secret. 
You see, that lie, one of, the, one of the biggest fears of people who have lived in a lie is that people will actually know the lie. And when, why it's easy to go to God is because, hey, I believe God will keep my secret. No one else has to know, God, just me and you. Let's just keep this between you and me. And one of the frightening things for, for many people who live in the lie is, wow, what if someone finds out? What if someone actually knows who I am? And so we live in this pattern where we go to God. God, I'll never do it again. God, will you forgive me? And yet we go back to that website or we go back to that drug or we go back to that drink over and over again. We've done the first part, but what's interesting is what God's word says. It's a two-part plan. It's not just go to God, but yet God uses people in the midst of the lie to bring healing. Look, what, look the second part is we confess to God, or we confess to people for healing. What I love about God is he uses trustworthy people in your life to hold you accountable to bring about the healing process. James chapter five, it says this, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now I wanna pause here and I wanna tell you what James and I am not telling you to do. You see, James is not saying, hey, when you, come, when you tell the truth, when you confront your lies, James is not saying go on social media and tell everybody. He's not saying even maybe with everybody in your group, he's saying find trustworthy people who you are close with, who will actually pray for you and help you find healing in the midst of your lie. Healing, sounds good, doesn't it? I love you, Carl, you're awesome. It does. But yet for, for some of you, healing seems like it's so far away because you've lived in that lie for so long. In fact, healing sounds so good because you've carried the, the guilt and the shame of your life for so long that you walk through life with this burden on your shoulders of the lie that you carry. And what we have to understand this morning is what you conceal will not heal. What you keep in the shadows of the darkness, if it's not brought into the light of Jesus, it will fester and it will just grow larger. But what if we chose to be truth tellers? Can I ask you a question this morning as I wind down? What would your life look like tomorrow if you woke up and you knew you had no secrets? I mean, honestly, how freeing would it be? Maybe at first it would be a little bit awkward because people would actually know the lie that you lived in, that your secret would be out. It might be humiliating at first. It might be hard and difficult for people to see you for who you really are. But can I tell you how freeing that will be? That you don't have to pretend anymore, that you can wake up and know in the freedom of the truth, I don't have any secrets anymore. That my spouse actually knows, my boss, my family, my girlfriend or my boyfriend actually knows who I am. What if we chose to tell the truth? You know, I, I even think today we'll hear a message like this and we'll be convicted. We'll be convicted to tell the people who need to hear the truth, the truth. And guess what will happen is the enemy will start his scheme again. He'll whisper in your ear, don't do that. He'll whisper in your ear this afternoon where you feel bold and courageous to leave here and be like, man, I, I, gotta, I gotta set some things straight. I gotta confront the lies and the enemy will come right at you and he will whisper in your ear, do you know how hard and difficult this is gonna be? Do you know how painful this is gonna be? And guess what happens? We believe the lie and we start the cycle all over again. 
But what if today we chose to follow the truth? What if today, with whatever lie you're hiding, whatever secret you have, what if today we chose, today will be the day where I share my truth? I share it with the people who need to hear it. I share it with my spouse or my family, my girlfriend or boyfriend. I share it with whoever needs to hear it. And I believe if we choose to do this, we will understand Jesus' words. You will know the truth. And when you share the truth, it'll set you free. Some of you will experience freedom today because you'll be bold enough to tell the truth. Let's pray together. God, lies are so easy to step into. They're convenient. They seem like they make our life easier, but yet they bring shame and guilt. And God, I pray today for just all of us that we would be truth tellers. That even right now, as we try to understand what this means for our relationships, the the things that we need to tell maybe the people, I pray that you give us the boldness and the courage to do it that we would not listen to the lies of the enemy, but we would be truth tellers, God, that you would allow the truth to set us free from the bondage that we've been in. Give us the courage, give us the grace. Thank you that you forgive us in the midst of our lies. In Jesus' name, amen.